Welcome to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Duranja. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, cognitive behavior specialist, personal trainer, and recovering perfectionist turned professional half-asser. Thanks for being here and for taking the journey with me from surviving to thriving. Let's dive in with today's episode. Hello, everybody. On today's show, we have Dr. Renee Wellenstein. She is an accomplished double board certified physician in both OBGYN and functional medicine who moved on from her demanding clinical job to follow her passions, inspire the women around her, and live a life of leaping, loving, and leaning in. Founder of Caspira, did butcher it? That's it. Okay, you got it. Caspira Elite Health (laughs) Consulting, host of The Fresh Podcast, Love the Leap with Dr. Renee and Spiritually Aligned Entrepreneur. She seeks to spread enlightenment, motivation, and the spirit of overall health inside and out. Her mission is to help busy professional women create the health and body of their dreams with elite one-on-one functional medicine coaching. Thank you so much, Renee, for being here. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm really excited to have an opportunity to to chat with you. I know today we're going to talk about a lot of things that are probably a little more old school for you. This isn't really your niche area anymore. Um, However, you know, when you and I talked about um, Mm -hmm. doing this podcast interview a while back, I felt it was really important to kind of bring out that OBGYN skill set that you used to um, harness and bring it to our modern day with more of a functional approach. Mm -hmm. So I'm super excited to have you and I want to talk about a lot of nasty things. So we're going (laughs) to dive right into it. And you know, it's so funny because I may not practice typical, you know, conventional GYN every day, but a lot of the concepts obviously don't change. Right. And even as a functional medicine doc, like it's still the same. It is what it is. And sometimes you can, you know, do things holistically to try to prevent it or remedies to treat it. But when it comes down to it, it is what it is and the concepts don't change. So let's get to talking about it. Yeah. So, you know, um, you, and I, I don't know how much of the audience knows, but I had cervical cancer back in 2012. I had gotten diagnosed um, late. Let's see, I couldn't. I didn't have health insurance back for a long, long time, and I was having to go through Planned Parenthood. And unfortunately, through the screening process and the change of the Pap smear laws, time elapsed, and I had apparently had HPV. Didn't know it. It went into full blown cervical cancer. Had to do the whole colposcopy and then go in and have the um, ablation done to remove all of the cancerous tissue. That's when I changed a lot of um, my own personal practices. Prior to that diagnosis, um, I, you know, nutrition, exercise, those were component staples in my life that were really important. And I thought at that time, that was the basis of our health and well-being. Then with the diagnosis of this cancer, I recognized that when it comes to our total health and well-being, um, 
exercise and nutrition are not the only components that really are the catalyst and mm -hmm. stress management, sleep, gut health, those things are really, really important for someone like myself who has a compromised immune system. Mm -hmm. Me being under a lot of stress puts me a lot more susceptible to something like a viral infection of HPV to have an opportunity to go into cervical cancer. So anyway, um, that was kind of a, a game changer for me in terms of the way that I wanted to shape my practice moving forward in helping people because the reality is um, everything starts in our mind. That's why I named this podcast, Think Yourself Healthy, because if we don't have control what's happening up here with our thoughts, the thoughts are going to dictate to the biology what's going to happen in the body. And so I really feel it's important that we have these conversations around um, reframing the approach that we take when it comes to our overall health and well-being. So anyway, so that's what brings us here today. I just recently found out back in November of last year that the cervical cancer is back. So um, I was very confused, had lots and lots of questions. And so I thought, well, if this is confusing for me, I'm sure it's confusing for a lot of other women out there as well. And then there's some other topics I'd like to discuss with you that are pretty common, like BV, yeast infections, um, some of those kind of things that a lot of women suffer from, but are really scared to talk about it and feel a lot of shame and guilt around having these down below issues. Mm -hmm. So I want to make it kind of like a conversation that we can safely have. Absolutely. So where should we start? Should I talk about HPV or? Yeah. So let's start with HPV. Um, okay. So one of the things that was really confusing for me was okay, I had gotten diagnosed with this, went into cervical cancer, then I have the surgery to have all of the tissue removed, all of the cancerous cells removed, and then fast forward eight years later, it's back. So how does this happen? So HPV stands for human papillomavirus. It has, it's a, it's a group of viruses actually, it's about 150 different types. Mm -hmm. And I, it's also the cause of something called genital warts. Mm -hmm. And people don't know that, but sometimes you get the genital warts, which usually manifests as um, itchy skin bumps, right. uh, usually in the female genitalia, female area. Um, but then there are virus types that can cause abnormal pap smears. And virus types, there are a group of them. There, you know, there are two types, namely 16 and 18, are, are more worrisome regarding cancer causing. So how you got this or how you, you know, were treated and then it came back um, is you were probably exposed again. Okay. So it is spread by skin to skin contact, usually through sexual activity. So it is sexually transmitted. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people will say, well, I've only had one partner, but the question is how many partners have they had? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Right. Well, we use the condom. Well, condoms could start really, but there is some skin that's not protective with condoms. Okay. Um, and I would always get angry female patients because many times the men are asymptomatic mm -hmm. carriers. They have it. They, and I always talk them down and say, you know, I would diagnose this in happily married couples after 10 years of marriage mm -hmm. that she had probably had it. And here it finally came out because of stress, mm -hmm. weakened immune system, whatever reason her body fight it, it came out. We found it. And lo and behold, she thought he, he was cheating. Now, maybe he was, I don't know. <laughs> But probably not, you know, um, 
And so it, 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 it's, it is, you know, it is kind of like, where did this come from? I thought I got rid of it. Uh, it's a new contact. It's not to say to, you know, anyone should be scared of having a new partner. You do your best, you take precautions and most women actually clear on their own. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you may have been exposed and again, weakened immune system, you know, a new partner perhaps, right. you know, exposure, um, weakened immune system. Right after that, you had a pap smear, boom, there it is. Right. right. So potentially it, you know, with your lifestyle now, and we gave you a little more time, you mm-hmm. may have already, you know, you may have cleared it. Right. Or had, it could have been there a little bit longer um, and maybe and caused some abnormalities on a pap smear. Mm-hmm. So the pap smear is basically a screening tool. It is basically taking cells from the cervix mm-hmm. uh, and inside the cervical canal and, ba- and looking at it. And there are certain changes that the HPV virus cause in the cells that make the doctors say there's something wrong here. And as we were discussing before, when I first started in gynecology, I was doing pap smears on these poor 20, 21 year old girls and then shuffling right up to the next step when they got an abnormal, which is something called a colposcopy, whereby we take biopsies. And that was super traumatic for these young girls. Mm-hmm. You know, not only was it their first visit to me right. um, because mom said they had to come, but then here I am doing a pap smear, which again is, is pretty, I tried not to make it traumatic. I walked them through it, it was very gentle, but nonetheless traumatic. And then I tell them it's abnormal. So there's the abnormality that they panicked about and the fact that I told them they needed another procedure. Mm-hmm. Well, over the course of my gynecology career, which, you know, uh, 15, 16 years, things sort of changed in that we, this HPV became very well known to us. Mm-hmm. And we, we realized there were certain types that we had to worry about more than others. And that these poor young girls, we shouldn't even go checking them because yeah. most likely they had it. Okay. And, you know, just do a pap smear. And if the pap smear is abnormal, then we can go looking for it. Mm-hmm. And, and that has saved so many uh, unnecessary procedures on these young girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second concept is that usually cervical cancer or the changes in the cervical cells take upwards of 10 years to, to occur. So that's okay. slow growing. Yeah. And, you know, typically the people I would see that would get full-blown cervical cancer were those women that hadn't seen a gynecologist since the birth of their last child 20 or 30 years ago. Wow. Um, And ironically, they were always in the healthcare field. They're always nurses. But (laughs) anyhow, um, so, you know, that goes to show you, yeah, they hadn't been screened. Had they been screened? So I usually wouldn't worry about women like you who are going to have the follow-up, who are going to get watched. And the guidelines... Um, they don't constantly change, but they have changed over the past, you know, 15 years, obviously, the more knowledge we have, um, it's a little more hands off, which worries a lot of women mm-hmm. because like yourself, I have this, I don't want to get cancer, you know, what's going to happen. And, right. you know, it's the matter of, um, the other thing is some of these procedures to treat it actually, uh, perhaps one of them, there's, you know, excisional procedures and they actually can cause pregnancy complications mm-hmm. in the future. So if we're doing these procedures on these young girls right. and taking part of their cervix out, they may not hold a pregnancy in the future right? or they may get what they call cervical stenosis whereby they can't even get pregnant. So, you know, there were a lot of factors that came into it to, for us docs to be like hands off and let's just carefully watch these women and, and do the procedures that are really necessary um, and just have a, you know, wait and see kind of approach. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, because you know, when I, I got diagnosed, I was in my mid thirties. I already had my children when the doctor told me this next step that we have to take to remove the cancerous cells. 
could put you at risk of not being able to carry a baby. And I was okay with that because I already had, you know, two beautiful children. And so that wasn't anything. Um, I mean, obviously, yes, the thought of not being able to have children anymore being taken away from me was definitely didn't sit great. But at that same time, I also was, you know, grateful for the two children that I did have. So that makes sense. I never really thought about that of why um, they wouldn't want to be so proactive with these kind of procedures if it's not 100% necessary. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you know, the guidelines change as you get older, you know, the younger girls, you got to think about evolution. I mean, typically in the past, women in their twenties are trying to find Mr. Right. They're with a lot of different partners. Mm -hmm. They may clear it once and get infected again, but usually by the age of 30, you're starting to maybe find one, you know, you settle down and then, but then I'd always see a resurgence in 40, 50, upwards of 70 year olds that had been widowed or divorced that are back out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's all new to them because they're back to the dating world, uh, back to new partners. And all of a sudden they come in and then, you know, 25 years of having normal pap smears. And I come in and say, it's abnormal. They're like, what happened? And then we have to have this very basic conversation today. And they were completely unaware that that was even a possibility. Yeah. You know, so it's, um, you know, so we're a little more cautious with the women over the age of 30 because, they are less likely to get it. So if their pap smear is abnormal, then, you know, and we're safer to look for it in them because chances are by that age, if they're going to clear it, they would have cleared it by now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, unfortunately for myself, I, when I was 17 years old and got diagnosed with this kidney disease and autoimmune issue, they started Mm -hmm. testing me for HPV or HIV. HIV at 17 years old had never even had a sexual partner in my life. It was literally a very frightening and traumatic experience for your doctor to be like, we're going to have to test you for HIV. And I'm like, wait, what? So that was something that really stuck with me. And it kind of like elicited that red flag of, I have to be very, very careful because I have a very, I'm in a more compromised situation. And so for me, I have been um, very prude in a sense with, you know, the having sexual partners, because for me, it's like, it's a risk. I feel like every time I want to choose to engage in sexual activity with someone, it's like this risk. And, you know, um, so anyway, when I did get diagnosed the first time I was like many women you were talking about who had only been with this one person. And I was like, how does this happen to me? And And so um, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I think this can help a lot of people who are confused about this kind of concept um, and that you can get it again, just a different strand later on. So mentally at that time, I thought I'm never going to have to deal with this again. I didn't think that I was ever going to have to deal with this again. So when it came back this last year, um, it hit me pretty hard. I was pretty devastated mm-hmm. by like, wait, how, why, what? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I appreciate yeah, it. And I, and I think the other thing is, you know, coming from a doctor's perspective, and this is what I study and we study it and we're caught, you know, we're, we, we read our, all the scientific literature and we're up to date. And so we're very comfortable with the progression or the lack of prog- rapid progression, I should say in certain types. But when a woman like yourself who thought they never could get it again, comes in and, and there's a doctor like me and saying, no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's, you know, I'd always, I'd always see that same response mm-hmm. to my women. Like, what do you mean? Don't worry about it. What do you right. mean? And, right. 
you know, it is, it's just this dichotomy of like, you know, and it's your body mm-hmm. and it is truly scary because you, you do have a compromised immune system with your autoimmune disease. So it's very real for you. And I right. think, you know, most docs, and I think most docs are pretty sympathetic and empathetic towards, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's new diagnosis situation that it is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the unknown. It's the uncertain of where it's going to go because your doc will tell you the same thing. I don't know. We just got to watch you. Yeah. So what about someone like me who has had it before? It did not clear on its own, went into cancer. I have the procedure, get rid of it. And then, you know, fast forward eight years later, okay, now I've got the cervical cancer cells again. Uh, how, How different is that than the average person? Like, am I at risk of, because I have kind of like an issue Well, my doctor and I, when she originally diagnosed me, we definitely were not on the same page. I was very angry because she's like, well, we're just going to watch it for a year and hopefully it'll just clear up and go away. And I was like, but I've already had this and it did not clear up and go on a go away on its own the first time. So my, my, uh, faith and the ability for it to clear up and go away isn't really high. So what is the difference between the circumstances that I'm in versus like someone who doesn't have an autoimmune issue? I mean, you know, it is a virus and it does, um, you know, I don't think it's not going to more rapidly spread. It just may not, you may not clear it. Um, And you know that you're, you, and the other issue is who knows the type, but typically when they do a, a HPV typing, they will say, yes, you've got one of the 15, 16 types that they test for, but they can't, there is some typing, I believe, for 16 and 18. Again, I've been out of the pap smear world for a little bit. But, um, you know, that sometimes is a little more, uh, you know, aggressive testing. But in your doctor's defense, she doesn't want to do any unnecessary procedures on you because, you know, God forbid something happens, even for a simple, um, we typically don't do ablation techniques anymore, whereby you, you either freeze it or you laser it because that used to be for low-grade precancerous lesions, which typically, once again, we now know they're from the HPV and that they usually go away. Mm -hmm. So typically now we only treat higher precancerous lesions with some sort of excisional procedure, whether that be with a a loop that's electrical or actually uh, a a biopsy um, in the operating room. Yeah. You know, and and both of those are not without risks of infection, of bleeding, you know, going to have any more children, but who knows? I always used to say, you never know, right. <laughs> even at the age of, you know, I have women 45. I'm like, you never know, you right. know, especially if they yeah. weren't in a, in a relationship already. So, you know, I think she's really just trying to pull back and say, you know what, Heather, you might actually clear this, even though your track record's not great. I'm willing to watch you closely. Mm-hmm. That's the caveat right there. And, and, and it's kind of, kind of coming back from that perspective I just talked about where, you know, we're a little more cavalier about it in that, you know, it's going to go away or let's just give it a chance. Whereas you were like, no, this is my track record. It doesn't usually go away. Right. Uh, And, you know, so the, she's following the guidelines and the recommendations, which is a repeat, um, depending on the abnormality, a repeat in a year. Right. I mean, the good news is if she had not gone right for colposcopy, that's a good thing because that means the pap pap smear abnormality wasn't great enough for an automatic colposcopy. Oh, I did. I went straight to colposcopy. Oh, you went, oh, oh, yeah. you went to for yeah, a biopsy. No, it, it, okay. it is cervical cancer. It's, it's a uh, great, it's level two. I think it's level oh, two. Oh, CIN two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. 
they, they grade them by the CIN number, like right. cervical intraepithelial neoplasia. Yeah. So that's usually a, you know, you can't make a cervical cancer diagnosis based on a pap smear and that's mm-hmm. just a screening test. Right. When you get the biopsy, they're pretty much, unless you get to something called carcinoma in situ and that's very early cancer, all of the CINs are still precancerous, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I understand your, your concern. So she just wanted to repeat a pap smear in a year. Is that what she wanted to yeah. do? Yeah. So the unfortunate part was, um, I moved to California four years ago. And when I moved, I didn't think about mm-hmm. needing to transfer all of my medical records, have printouts of all of those things. So unfortunately, when this whole circumstance uh, came up, she didn't have my previous records to show that this is, you know, a reoccurrence. And so she said to me that unfortunately I didn't have any evidence to present her. So she has to basically treat this as if it is a first time occurrence and follow normal procedure. And so, um, I ended up having to contact my old doctor, have that, and that's a whole process. Oh my gosh. Um, to get all of those records, get them mailed to me. And then once I've gotten those, I ended up finding a different doctor. Now I'm in the process of waiting to okay. get in to a new doctor to see what their recommendation is. Second opinion. Yeah. It's always good when you're not, I'm two things I want to say about that is for your audience. If you ever have any medical underlying medical conditions or like an abnormal pap smear that has had biopsies and you move, mm-hmm. absolutely go to your doctor a month before you move, get all your records yeah. and put them in a manila folder or, you know, and take them with you. And right. wherever you pop up next, you can divide the GYN folders with a primary care, whatever the underlying right. issue is, because as a doctor, it makes it so much easier for continuity of care and to take good care of my mm-hmm. patients. If I know what happened to them over the past five, 10, 15 years, right. because unlike you, a lot of patients are not good historians regarding their health. They right. don't really know. You ask them, which procedure do you have? I don't know. What yeah. surgery? I don't know if I have my appendix or not. Right. I don't know if I have my gallbladder, like, right. you know, so very basic things. So, um, you know, I, even as a gynecologist, I, I think I had, I go in and there's only one ovary. I'm like, where's the other ovary? Right. Oh yes. I had that removed. I had a ectopic pregnancy on it back. At, I was like, Oh, okay. Or an ovarian cyst. So, right. um, that is the first. And there was a second. I actually yeah. got off on that, that tangent. I forgot. Well, that was a really a big wake up call because the reality yeah. is, you know, when these kind cause they also, she also found a lump in my breast that still has to be mm-hmm. evaluated. And so I get, you know, I find out I have this lump and then it comes back that I've got, you know, the, HN whatever too. And I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, is this spreading? Like, is it throughout my whole body? And then because she's not, you know, listening to me and I have to get all of these records, well, that whole process in itself is so stressful (laughs) to try and just retrieve your stuff. Once you're out of state, it's so much more difficult. And, um, and then that stress, right? So then that stress is contributing to the whole situation and it's like, oh, what a nightmare. So yes, I think that's a great PSA um, to everyone. Just get your medical. The other thing, absolutely. Another thing I remember in my second point is that you have to be your own advocate. Absolutely. I think this was the biggest thing I learned. I was also a patient and a doctor and I had to be my own advocate regarding my health, which is how I got into functional medicine or more holistic medicine mm-hmm. because 
my doc was listening to me, but I wasn't fitting in a box. So that was my story. But the thing is, if I didn't pursue other means of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, mm -hmm. and in your case, you're not quite comfortable with the management, you have to, at the end of the day, you have to feel comfortable and you have to know it's the best choice for you. Right. And if you're not comfortable and you're going to be awake at night worrying about this, you absolutely have to go for a second opinion. Right. There's tons of gynecologists out there. You can find a good one yeah. and go and just say, listen, I don't have to have anything done. This is my history. This is, you know, all of it. You have all my records. Now you have my recent and what do I do now? Right. And yeah. basically well, when I, I was told. Yeah. When I, when I contacted my original doctor who did the first procedure for me, she, you know, I was explaining her to the circumstances and she was like, you have to get in and see someone else. I don't recommend mm -hmm. that, the, that you wait the year. Like, you know, mm -hmm. she's, she's suggesting. So, well, it's interesting because back when I, when I started, we were doing repeat paps at three and six month intervals. That's how scared we were. Um, wow. you know, be, again, before we really knew about the HPV, we were like, I would, I would stay up at night worrying about some people and yeah. not everyone, but the people that I worried weren't going to follow up because I knew those are the ones that were going to get in trouble. And as a busy doc, it's hard to keep track of everybody. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and I know that's not going to be you, you follow up very well, but, yeah. um, you know, and it, it's interesting how the frequency is like completely changed over the course of 15, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard to stay on top of. And, and originally that's how I ended up getting to that place of, going from a positive HPV pap smear, not being informed to then a couple of years, well, it was probably somewhere between three and four years later, now it's full-blown cervical cancer. And part of that was that they kept changing the laws on how mm -hmm. often pap, smear, pap smears needed to be performed. And so yeah. somewhere in that process, I was one of those individuals who got lost in that whole confusion ended up not being able to get the pap smears when it was needed to follow up to be able to proactively stay on top of it. And I have to say, these are just guidelines for the doctors to follow. At the end of the day, it's the doctor's decision and, and you know, how comfortable they are as well as you with the plan. Well, and so, you know, there has to be guidelines and there's, it's an algorithm like yeah. this is what but, have you go down. But, you know, for me, I have to say I had to go through planned parenthood. And so being that I couldn't get health insurance, had to go through Planned Parenthood, they weren't being as proactive as they could have been because they, you know, clearly were, were all aware of those issues. And so, yeah. you know, that, that is the, I do, I do feel like had I had private health insurance at that time, it would have been a different circumstance. It would have been a different mm -hmm. circumstance. So, um, so anyway, uh, you know, another thing I want to chat about, and I appreciate, you know, sharing all of that information about the HPV and cervical cancer. Um, but I want to talk to you about bacterial vaginitis, BV. So mm -hmm. this is something that I, I personally have suffered from. Unfortunately, I am a very sensitive person and I ended up mm -hmm. discovering that scented tampons, scented pads, and scented toilet paper were enough to change the pH of my vaginal fluid, I guess, and I ended up developing BV. And it was horrible. Like, it was so hard to get that diagnosed. So talk to me about that. 
Well, you know, unlike what everyone, the vagina is a very dirty place in that it's got lots of, it's got lots of bacteria and yeast. It's not aseptic like the bladder. Um, so there are naturally, and they're beneficial bacteria, just like the gut. And ironically, um, they're doing all this vaginal microbiome work, which is pretty cool because yeah, yeah, get into a little bit. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, there's been so much focus, I mean, across the board for years and years, there has been a lot of research on women's health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of studies are mostly men, you know, with men and such, but, um, it, it, so there is a vaginal microbiome research going on now and it's, it's quickly evolving. It's so cool because I feel like women that have distant infections, not just like I practice functional medicine, not every two women are the same. Like your gut microbiome doesn't look like mine, same with your vaginal, you know? And so when things go awry, it may not be the same. Mm-hmm. And the treatment may not be the same, but so bacterial vaginosis is one not sexually transmitted disease. I really just want to put that out there because right. I you know, we talking before yeast and bacterial vaginosis, also called BV are people, you know, any kind of vaginal discharge, a girl or a woman has, they automatically think, oh my gosh, I have a sexually transmitted disease. Right. They are feeling like they're going to, if they even mention it, they're going to be stereotyped that they're promiscuous and they're out there and you know, and that's not the case. It's simply an overgrowth of bacteria in the vagina. When the bacteria in the vagina the, the, the becomes imbalanced, mm-hmm. you get a bacterial infection called mm-hmm. bacterial vaginosis. Just like yeast, you get an overgrowth growth of yeast, which is um, a fungus mm-hmm. naturally in the vagina. But when you get an overgrowth, you get a yeast infection. So in such things like douching, a lot of women think douching is good. It's not. It actually disrupts the pH of the vagina. It is supposed to be acidic. Um, and, you know, all those perfumed, like you said, the perfumed products will yeah. definitely disrupt the pH. Um, yeah, for me, the, the fix was, unfortunately, I ended up being very allergic to the medication that mm-hmm. uh, can treat it. It was mm-hmm. terrible. I ended up hospitalized. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, my my system is so sensitive. I. I pretty much can't take any kind of antibiotics anymore. Um, my food issues, any kind of like skin stuff, like anything that I try to put on my skin, I just have to be so careful because literally I, I have some sort of unfortunate reaction to most things. But for me, the fix ended up being unscented toilet paper, unscented tampons, unscented pads, and making sure that I wore, um, cotton, like cotton type of, of underwear. And so, and then not wearing like super, super tight pants, not sitting around and, you know, bathing suit, that kind of stuff. Um, but it was really frustrating because it really took a long time to, I kept going to the doctor, like, look, something just doesn't feel right, smell right. Mm-hmm. This is just not normal. I don't understand. And at that time I didn't even have, I wasn't even, I was, I was on a stint of being single for a very long time. So I was just mm-hmm. really confused. Um, but finally I was able to get a diagnosis, then try to move forward with, you know, the antibiotics that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately it was a matter of just removing and eliminating all of those things yeah. to keep it a bay. Yeah. And there's a couple other things like uh, sexual activity or like the semen actually will, can disrupt the vaginal pH um, blood from your period. Mm-hmm. And a lot, one thing a lot of women don't realize is the IUD specifically the Mirena IUD um, disrupts, it makes you more prone to bacterial vaginosis. So yeah. And so, um, it's, it's very interesting, you know, like 
there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, you know, of course, you know, you want to still have sex and, you know, you're going to still have your period, but I think all those other underlying things that are within your control, Mm -hmm. like not using the vaginal, um, vaginal douches and sprays and perfumes and the perfumed toilet paper and and wipes and all that. I think what you can control, you definitely should control, Mm -hmm. um, to try to prevent Right. Um, so I think a lot yeah. of girls are really in a vicious cycle because yeah. they have this issue. They go and get tested for all the sexually transmitted diseases. Everything comes back negative. They're like, okay, but then they still have issues with, you know, the smell. Some of the other symptoms I had were, um, occasionally it would feel almost like I had a urinary tract infection where I would have like slight discomfort in my lower Mm -hmm. abdominal area, Mm -hmm. that urgency to feel like I needed to urinate, never had Mm -hmm. any kind of your painful urination, but I had those underlying things that kind Mm -hmm. of sounded like this, but then I'd get tested for the UTI. It would come up negative. I'd get tested Mm -hmm. for a bladder infection. It'd come up negative. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a pretty long process, but, um, Anyway, as I was saying, I think that there's a lot of girls and women who, um, they go, they do the testing, it comes back negative, they can't figure it out. So they're using those sprays because they're so devastated and embarrassed of this, you know, old odor that that's, um, coming from them. And so they're just stuck in that vicious cycle of making it worse. And I think, you know, it is, it is tough and it could be, you know, I mean, yeast usually doesn't have an odor, but I do think it's good that if you do think you have an issue, go and get tested because I I would see all the time people going to get over the counter, especially yeast medications. And it may not be yeast. It could be something else. Um, I mean, and there are sexually transmitted infections that cause a similar discharge as BV. Mm -hmm. BV just usually has that typical, um, odor. Yeah. Yeah. I never really had any kind of issues with discharge or anything of that nature. It was just occasionally, and it wasn't always persistent. It would just occasionally, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, now that I think about it, it was more associated with around the time I would have my periods that I Uh would recognize it. So, um, yeah, so that, that was a really frustrating situation. And then when my doctor finally said, you know, yeah, you tested positive for, for BV. I was like, for what? Like, what is this? (laughs) Please tell me more. I'm so frightened. I know it has those terrible initials, right? And that's again, again, doctors are like, yeah, no big deal. It's just a bacterial infection, overgrowth. I should say not terrible. Right. And as a patient, you're like, what the heck? You just gave it a name. Right. Right. And now you're giving me a prescription for something. So yeah, it is pretty scary. It is. Well, so let's go in to infections. Dun, 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 dun. Because we got summer coming up and there seems to, you know, be a um, influx in the yeast situation for females when temperatures start to get warmer. So let's kind of talk about that. Why are women more susceptible to having chronic, now you get to kind of tie in your um, functional stuff with this. Why are women mm-hmm. more susceptible to yeast overgrowth than men? Uh, hormones, estrogen. Okay. You know, because you'll find women that are, um, get uh, infections more frequently. Yes. In the warmer months, you know, because yeast loves warm, moist, dark areas, right? So that's why we always come with a panty. So your, your areas can breathe, you work out, you change your pants, you swim, you change your suit. So 
basic things, but then we got the hormonal part. Uh, pregnancy, pregnant women are more prone. All those poor girls on birth control pills, they're more likely to get yeast infections. Um, so it comes down to hormonal difference okay. in hormones. So is it, is it, which estrogen is the culprit for contributing? Estrogen. Like estrogen style, in general. Estrogen? Yeah. I don't even think they know because, okay. you know, in pregnancy, you're making your own natural estrogen. If you're taking a birth control pill, it's synthetic. So right. across the board, some sort okay. of hormonal component. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, um, you know, that being said too, speaking of hormones, diabetics, you know, mm -hmm. people that have, um, blood or those that eat a high sugar diet, right. Which a lot of women and men do, but women, again, we have those underlying factors of, or risk factors to begin with. Mm -hmm. You layer on a high sugar diet or high processed with added sugar diet, you know, and the summer and you're on the birth control pill, you know, or you're pregnant. Um, it's like a triple whammy. Right. Know? So what about women who are postmenopausal? Are they at higher risk of having yeast infection or lower? Much lower. Yeah. Uh, you rarely see it in prepubertal girls. So girls that haven't gone and started cycling and menopause. Okay. Menopause is a whole different, they get a atrophy issue from lack of estrogen, um, and which can give you a discharge and give, give you itching just from the breakdown of the vaginal tissues. But they, yeah, you won't see, typically you don't see it as often. In, so, in so for a girl who, um, or I shouldn't say girl, woman, anyone who, you know, thinks that maybe they have a yeast infection, most of them don't want to necessarily go to their moms or go to the doctor because they're embarrassed. They're not sure what's mm -hmm. going on. So what is your advice to that person? What do they need to do to, to get appropriate help? Um, I mean, you should get a diagnosis, you know, I, I guess if it's your first time you think, you know, there's no weird, there may be a clumpy white discharge and some itching. It probably is a yeast infection, especially if you have one of the underlying risk factors. And many times you can do things just at home. You know, there's been women that use tea tree oil, you know, obviously diluted in almond oil or coconut oil and put on mm -hmm. a tampon and insert it. Um, probiotics, uh, yogurt. Some people even put yogurt in the vagina, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, because yeah, coconut well, oil is actually go to a really interesting place. <laughs> so can we make bread from our vaginal yeast? <laughs> go ahead and try. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have any vaginal yeast, but I also, you know, um, try to maintain a, a really good diet. Um, yeah. So, but you know, yeah. I do a lot of work with, um, individuals who are post recovery for drug and alcohol, um, addiction and these women, oh my goodness, you know, I'll ask them to stick out their tongue and their whole tongues will be coated. Well, typically, so for me, the way that I typically have an idea that there's something going on potentially with yeast is I'll, I'll look at their labs and we'll get their CBC with differentials back. And their, their numbers are all over the place. And so I'll be like, you know, are you suffering from some sort of infection? Do you have any kind of wounds? And, and then they'll be like, no, but I have a, a lot of really thick, weird white discharge. And then I'll be like, stick mm -hmm. your tongue out. And they'll stick their tongue out. And it is literally coated head mm -hmm. to front to back. With, it's almost like white carpet. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, yes, 
we are dealing with a very, very strong overgrowth of yeast in the body. And so then, you know, um, I find that, that women who do abuse alcohol are definitely, that seems to be one of the common, common symptoms. With sugar. effects, yeah. 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 And, you know, with, with kind of kicking the sugar to the curb, not only yeast, I mean, just across the board, hormone, hormones can be imbalanced because of it, blood sugars, gut health, you know, like I honestly think the one tip for everybody is cut the sugar to the curb. Like, you know, and and you would, all that processed food, the packaged food, I know it's the year, you know, the decade, the the century or whatever of convenience. Mm -hmm. And right now we all have a little more time, but, um, you know, you're, you have a lot of hidden things in there that you don't even know are in there. Right. And you wonder why it tastes so good. It's the sugar that, you know, has to preserve the shelf life. So I think across the board, whether we're talking about yeast or, you know, the immune system, because obviously kicking sugar out and helps your gut, helps your immune system. So like across the board, just for an overall health tip, you know, sugar is yeah. not good. Right. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because if we think about the typical age group of women who are suffering from a lot of these things, um, they're eating a lot of refined processed foods. They're in college, you know, they're drinking Mm -hmm. a lot of alcohol on the weekends and partying, having multiple sex partners. Um, So what is your advice to the average listener who out there who might be suffering from some of these things we've talked about today? What do you recommend to them? I, you know, I would recommend having a dialogue with your doctor you know, like, especially if it's something recurrent, if it's the one time, again, you can try some at home remedies, you can go and get over the counter monostat, you know, but if it's not helping really, um, I would find a lot of women, uh, when I talked about any of these or even sex, women don't really want to talk about sex in their libido, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, because people just don't talk about it. Right? right. Like I talk about it all the time. That's what I used to do every day. But you know, especially the young girls would put their heads down, like so embarrassed to talk about anything, you know, Find a doctor you like that you feel like you can talk to because there's a lot of us out there. Mm-hmm. Find a doctor that's actually going to take time to listen to you because they don't, not all docs. And I, and I get it because they're very busy right now. Right. Um, but a lot of women know their bodies and know this is not normal. And, mm-hmm. you know, and get the appropriate testing. You know, it's different for, for every, you know, all of them and make sure there's nothing else major going on because, you know, sometimes a discharge, water discharge can be cervical cancer. You know, I mean, again, this is someone who's not right. been cared for for a long time, but right. there are symptoms that a discharge may be something more or a sexually transmitted infection that can compromise your reproductive organs and, you know, make it harder for a woman to get pregnant. So, right. you know, I used to see a lot of these, I mean, in all ages, but, you know, the younger girls, especially, and I would just caution them that they need to come in and, you know, we need to just be cautious. There's nothing bad about testing and looking. Right. Um, so what, know, I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say is that we need to let go of the self judgment of feeling like correct. a whore or a slut or whatever the other yeah. judgments that we typically uh, put upon ourselves when these kind of issues occur, we got to let go of the judgment. We've got to let go of the shame and guilt. Find absolutely that you feel comfortable about. Know that this is just part of human biology, and it's better to be part proactive. of being a woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be proactive. Be so proactive. What are, yeah. What are some of the risks if someone d- doesn't get these kind of things treated, especially like with BV? Are there any risks? 
Um, you know, you, it depends on the type of bacteria that's in the vagina. It can ascend into um, the uterus and cause a pelvic inflammatory disease. You know, okay. you typically, you, many times you'll see that with a sexually transmitted infection. You always hear it with gonorrhea, chlamydia, things like that. But you could, theoretically, it's an open system. Mm-hmm. Anything in the vagina can go up into the, into the uterus and into the fallopian tubes and cause a really raging infection mm-hmm. that requires hospitalizations, uh, abscesses that might need to be drained or surgically removed. So, you know, it's rare that that happens, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. And if someone is pregnant, usually a yeast infection is pretty benign, but a bacterial infection can actually cause a preterm labor. Oh, wow. So okay. you certainly don't want that. So if a woman's pregnant and again, you know, women, pregnant women are at risk for both of them more, more often than the non-pregnant. So, you know, really if someone and, and pregnant women are usually generally watched a little more carefully, but if anyone ever has a concern, I would always want my patients to come in and just let me look, mm-hmm. um, versus saying it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I really appreciate your knowledge and expertise. You're, you know, you're very comfortable to talk to about these kind of things. Um, I'm a firm believer in having to be transparent, get the conversations out there. I know that if it's something I'm thinking about or struggling with, that there's got to be at least one other person whom could benefit Mm -hmm. from having the conversation. So I totally appreciate you going, you know, going there with me today. Um, So tell the listeners where, where can they find you? What do you have going on? Tell me about that stuff. Oh my, well, you know, again, I am now pretty much, I call myself the women's holistic health expert now. So I, I really married my OBGYN love because I do love talking about these topics. I help, I specialize in women, um, but I kind of marry it with my functional medicine love for holistic uh, living lifestyle and health. And so over the place, I have a website, drreneewellenstein.com. Uh, Everything I do is usually on there. I have uh, social media handles on Instagram. I'm Renee Wellenstein. Let's see. No, Dr. Renee Wellenstein. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And actually on Facebook too, Dr. Renee Wellenstein. And I do have a holistic health group, a private one on Facebook, uh, where I'll be running a five-day mini course next week talking all about stress and and the effects on the body and what we can do about it. So I have tons of women get in that. Yeah, we're going to talk about you know, mindset, but the effects on the adrenals and the gut and your hormones, we are going to address hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have, I'd love for your listeners to come on in that group and get some free information next yeah, week. I will definitely make sure to link everything in the show notes so that they okay. can find you. Um, I love watching you on Instagram and on Facebook, your, your stories. Renee is amazing with stories. You guys have to watch her. Um, <laughs> So entertaining and so fun and so real. You're just, you're very real. And I love that about you. I, I always call, I always say I'm not your typical doc. I'm very unconventional. So I follow my passion and I just continue to help people any way I can. Well, you're doing amazing things Thank and it's, you. You know, I Thank feel you. blessed to have met you and um, to, to be able to call you as well. And I appreciate your time and your expertise and we're definitely going to have to do this again. We'll have to Maybe the listeners will come up with some things that they would like to uh, get more information about and we can have another chat. I would love to come back. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. 
Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.